asterisk win for the Yankees yesterday. How dare those cheaters come to our fine city and bring their dirty New York customs and attitudes. It's like people love saying Toronto is just cleaner New York, you know? Mm -hmm. And now that also includes the way that we comport ourselves. Mm. We We have standards here. We're an ethical city, okay? Scumbags. <laughs> Hot start today. Yeah. Cheaters. <laughs> cheaters in baseball. Probably the first time there's ever been cheating in that sport, I would say. All right. I, it, the good thing is Yankees, Blue Jays hate. Stock up. Mm-hmm. Awesome. If you, if you remember 2015 and you're old like me and Azo, you remember how fun it was having the Jays be the hated team and everywhere they went, people just despised them, but they were our guys to be despised. It really is part of the tragedy of Manoa being really bad right now Mm -hmm. is he was kind of there. Well, he still is their big guy that stands at the top step and goes, I wish, I wish a, you know, what or would, you know, (laughs) I, I wish I'd love to see you try, but his attitude and his swagger and the way that he pissed guys off. I always really liked that about Manoa. It sucks mm-hmm. when you're not going very well because you lose all of it. And it, in fact, becomes exponentially worse. But it's sweet seeing the teams in the division hate each other. Yeah. And I loved John Schneider's shut up, fat boy. <laughs> that, that's got to that's be a shirt. That's a good <laughs> shirt. Next time the Yankees come to town, at least a sign. Shut up, fat boy. That was funny. We don't know who he's talking to, but it seems it was Boone. Boone is a crybaby. He loves crying. How many yeah. times has Boone come out of the dugout in two games? Three, four? He just loves walking over the umpires and having himself a little cry. And then throws he the throws gum. his gum. Yeah, yeah, he's a big gum thrower, which I got to say, that's a good move. A nice, I, like, a nice throw. I like the gum throw move. It's, a, it's uh, uh, nice. It's, it's a really nice way to look pissed off. And it's essentially spitting without the grossness of spitting or the risk, mm-hmm. which is... In the world of 4K, spitting and having it get not be a clean release, mm-hmm. you know, you can't end up with it back on your face. You're a meme forever. <laughs> so I like the gum move. It's clean. It's fast. It's good basically throw, the too. only thing I like about Aaron Boone. Anyway, I'm going to get more into the Jays and Yankees in a couple minutes here. I got Ben Nicholson-Smith coming on. We're going to talk about the cheaters and how they cheat and some Vladdy. Uh-oh. That didn't look good. Especially since he waved off Schneider and then he did leave the game. Mm -hmm. And I get precautionary, whatever, but it was a tight ball game and he was due up in a huge spot and he came out. So, little spooky. Little spooky stuff. Plenty to discuss with him. But first, I want to talk about the NBA last night because big night in the NBA. First of all, draft lottery happens. And I couldn't help but think of the Raptors. Mostly because they had 1% chance of winning the draft lottery. 1%. You saw Bobby Webster go to the podium. Congrats to the San Antonio Spurs. They get Victor Womanyama. It actually made me think about, you know, sports kismet, where you just go, some organizations are just built for this. Like, when they were down to the final two, I was, first of all, obviously I told everyone I was from a rig standpoint. Mm -hmm. Charlotte didn't make sense. And when they were down to the second, I went, this is going to be another big call for the Botano best bets, which hit again, by the way. And it was, it, it was an easy win. Another easy win. Perfect week again. 
the streak continues. It just domination for me and my Botano best bets, which is coming up later in the show. But the Spurs win the lottery. They get Victor Wembanyama, and everyone starts doing the whole, wow, the Spurs are so lucky, and this is so, of, of course this is happening. They get the first overall pick again, another generational center. This just fits, blah, 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 Popovich, all these different things. And all I could think of is, yes, did you get lottery ball luck? Of course you did. But they put themselves in that position. And you do make your own luck. The San Antonio Spurs, forever and ever and ever, it was they are the culture. They are the standard holders. And they just do things the right way. And when the Raptors started winning and when they started establishing their culture and they started winning year over year over year and they were looking at their ways to develop, right? And the ways they were getting applauded by national, local, every observer of the Toronto Raptors. It was through the lens of these guys are doing it the way the Spurs do it, which is remaining competitive year over year over year. They're not just doing the tank thing because they feel as though that could adversely affect their younger players or their team could become rudderless and they would just accept a culture of losing and instill, and instead, sorry, they, they try to foster winning and competitiveness. And that is what led to the championship, you know? Hmm. Okay. You know what I think really it's all about is picking a direction. So the Raptors, who are quote-unquote Spurs East, which is living up about as well as the Toronto Maple Leafs being Blackhawks 2.0, I think both of those takes are kind of sitting in the same, oh boy, delete that file. <laughs> Nick Nurse being Popovich 2.0, again, it, it does come from years and years of certainty and years and years of competitiveness, and it sure does help when you have Tim Duncan, who plays until he's 40 years old pretty effectively, when you nail picks like Manu Ginobili and Tony Parker and you have that extend over a decade, the Raptors didn't have that. But they were so afraid of losing the quote-unquote culture or the identity of going into the irrelevant place that they once were. And that's where it's just you're not, you're not sure of your culture. If you were, and Masai Ujiri was the, the guy, right? The stabilizing force of the organization, and that was unchanging, then they should have been able to tank. They should have known that they could rebuild that culture, that they wouldn't go through years and years and years of ineptitude, years and years where they just couldn't get out of the doldrums, where they did instill a losing culture. That's supposed to be the point of great management, that's supposed to be the point of having a great coach who's with you for more than five seasons after a championship. And so all I could think of last night was watching the Spurs was how badly the Raptors blew it. Again, it was just another reminder of getting sucked back into that Raptor season where they had a year from hell. They didn't make the playoffs and they end up with the 13th overall pick in the draft. And I'm sitting there looking at it going, Woof. These guys don't have their first round pick next year. They are as in the middle as it can get. And so I just think that the Spurs, once again, they just showed 
why they're a world-class organization is that they knew the right time to take a big step back. They tried the little bit of a middle thing for a bit because they had Kawhi. They were coming off the championships. They did the decompression thing where they went, oh, okay, we'll take tomorrow and we'll take Pirtle in the trade. They did also get a first-round pick back in that. And then they turned, uh, yeah, those guys into assets. But man, as if the Raptors are where they are, they just did not have the confidence to go to the basement and to, to see the unknown, whereas a team like the Spurs did. And the team that is the Spurs gets rewarded with a generational talent that is immediately going to turn their franchise around, that puts guys just immediately into a new pecking order with their roster, where you all of a sudden you look at guys like Sohan and you say, wow, this guy is a nice wing next to Weminyama on his own in an island. Woof, nothing. All of a sudden, Weminyama comes and your organization just has structure when you have a top player to build around. And here you look at the Raptors and say, all right, so they traded their pick because they're not going to tank this year again. They're going to try to stay somewhere in the middle. They might trade any one of their guys essentially outside of Scotty Barnes. What is the direction? They still feel rudderless. So you have one organization that hits. They picked a direction and you had Bobby Webster sitting up there at the podium and going, who are we? What is the identity of the Toronto Raptors? Used to be toughness, used to be defense, used to be culture and i'm not really feeling any of those things right now so anyways congratulations to the spurs and sort of to the hornets because i hope they draft scoot i hope they don't take the brandon miller kid because after and i know all i do is watch essentially the tournament a couple of games here there but yeah just take scoot don't overthink this one don't end up going well we already have Lamelo ball we don't need another guard that would be in my opinion a mistake so anyways then it rolls over and i'm watching the blue jays game but i also watched nuggets Lakers. And here's a quick thought off this. Number one, my God, Mark Jackson, do you have no shame? I like, he must be so embarrassed watching the series, right? Jokic is putting up historical numbers, destroying the Lakers. What do you have? 12 rebounds in the first quarter. He's got another triple double, just an effortless triple double. Do you know what he was, by the way, on Botano yesterday for a triple double plus 110? Just to put that into context for those of you that don't gamble, that's basically a 50 50 shot. LeBron James, who actually was, I think, an assist or a rebound away from a triple double in that game, he, uh, he was plus 1150. LeBron, the GOAT. <laughs> so. He is just picking apart the Lakers, having a completely dominant half. And Mark Jackson has to sit there knowing that he did not put Nikolai Jokic on his MVP ballot, for God's sakes. He wants an Send ben <laughs> Embarrassing. Jokic is doing what I was talking about yesterday in the podcast-only part of the show, which is looking like a guy who is ready to be unquestionably the best player in the NBA basically going to grab that mantle and say, I, I don't really care if you think it's Luka Doncic. I don't care if you think it's Devin Booker. I don't care if you think it's Giannis Antetokounmpo. Nobody's doing this. Nobody's mixing this array of a skill set and doing it as effectively as I am. And the Lakers did kind of figure him out a bit with the Rui Hachimura thing in the second half, which was a nice thing for them. But this is the thing about great players. They make adjustments. And you're going to see Nikolai Jokic in this next game and the Denver Nuggets find a way to change where he catches the ball, how he brings the ball up the floor, I have a ton of faith that Denver is going to figure that out over the coming days and that the Rui Hachimura thing is going to be a, a, a thing of the past, not a thing of that tilts the series. And so what I thought was, 
boy, if you're a Nuggets fan, you have to be feeling great. Not just because you got the win, but because Anthony Davis played his ass off. He missed essentially no shots, and he was dug in defensively. He got cooked on that end by Jokic. Get that 40 points from him. You get a LeBron near triple-double where he plays another brilliant basketball game. You get Austin Reeves making big shots. You got Rui Hachimura, who, what did he give him, 17? 17. Yeah, 17 from Rui, Mm -hmm. and then a bunch of really good defensive play as well. Schroeder was digging in. Murray was still hitting shots in his face, but Schroeder's annoying. He's just that, he's one of the rare guys in the NBA that picks dudes up full court and can just do it over and over and over again effectively. So you got this really perfect road game where you punch them back in the mouth and you were really close and you came up short. And now you have to wonder how is that going to impact LeBron going to the next game? Can Anthony Davis had two great games in a row? Are you going to go down 0-2? Can you ever win in Denver? And the Nuggets are going, yeah, we had some guys hit some shots. KCP hit some big shots and Bruce Brown was pretty solid through a couple of... 16 off the bench. Yeah, he was really good. And Jokic hit a couple of prayers, and so did Murray, <laughs> right? There were some weird ones in that game where it felt like they couldn't miss for the longest time. But I just look at that and say, man, Denver can do that again. Denver, that, that is Denver. That, yep. that Jokic performance we saw, he's been ripping up those triple doubles. That's not out of line with what he's been doing in the series. Mm-hmm. Jamal Murray at home is pretty much that guy. And although he was sick and he battled through it and has the steal, so good for Canada there. Jamal Murray, the... Shea has taken all of his shine as Canada's best player, but Jamal Murray's doing a nice job in this playoff run of going, yeah, I'm still still here. I'm still around. <laughs> anyway, I, I think that the Lakers are in trouble. Perfect game for them in a lot of ways, and they still weren't able to pull it off. I could see this series going the way of five games. I, I could see this one being real quick. Either way, I'm very, very excited for the next one, but that's just how I'm feeling after that. Anyway, back to the Blue Jays, where the Yankees and Blue Jays hate. Oh, it's palpable. Ben Nicholson-Smith. At the letters, senior MLB writer for Sportsnet. Good morning, buddy. JD, how's it going? Good, man. You're a guy, you're a good guy. You like it when everybody gets along. You know, you're you're a person that brings people together. So, is it awkward for you to watch these Blue Jays games, or is there just a ton of hate and animosity? You got to write about it. <laughs> oh, I actually love it. Yeah. Like I, you know, you as you say, I, I think in in real life, of course, it's nice when when people get along. But yeah. I, I think in baseball, you know, you just see the absurdity of. You know, you know, you got to stay in the third base coaching box, and then the Yankees are telling the Blue Jays to stay in the third base coaching box, and judges hitting yes. these home runs, and you know, even after the game, Kevin Gosman, who's you know pretty mild mannered uh, pitcher, he's admitting like there is some dislike between these teams. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. I actually think the whole thing is pretty entertaining, and uh, it's yeah, it's been a fun couple of days. Yeah, it's been awesome, and I, I will say we've gotten some great quotes like "Shut up, fat boy" from Schneider to Boone, and. This from the crew chief, James Hoy, who told pool reporters after the game, quote, the instant I looked at his hand, it was extremely shiny and extremely sticky. It's the stickiest hand I've ever felt. My fingers had a hard time coming off his palm. And quote, how do they miss that for multiple innings? Well, I'm presuming that Herman loaded up more sticky stuff heading back out to the mound that inning. And he probably was pushing it and seeing how much he could get away with. I mean, and, and for all the talk about sign stealing and what's borderline and what's not, I mean, this is a clear instance. The Yankees were cheating. Domingo Herman was violating the rules of Major League Baseball. 
That's mm-hmm. something that that uh, is without dispute at this point. And mm-hmm. that quote's amazing. Like it's that's an umpire who's felt a lot of hands in his day. Yeah, <laughs> I love that. Hey, this guy is no amateur. I feel I'm feeling sticky hands. He feels sticky hands every <laughs> single day. He I mean, it's the stickiest hand he's ever felt. That's ba- that's not a good quote for Herman if he doesn't want to get suspended for ten games, right? And they already have the Scherzer precedent that they were talking about on the broadcast last night. And you're going in there yeah. saying it's just rosin, and they say. Uh, did you see Hoy? He said it's the stickiest hand he ever felt in his life. You're done. It's 10-game suspension. You basically got to lock that in. I, I will say this, though, about the other stuff. It's it's pretty clear now. It's not even pretty clear. It's 100% clear that the Yankees, they were playing within the rules. They were picking up a uh, – like, he was tipping his pitches, Jay Jackson. He admitted as much. He said it was the way that, what, he was throwing his slider, I think, where he was tipping it and showing the the release time. The Yankees were picking up on it. Judge hit one off him. I think Ken Rosenthal reported it this morning or last night. So that one's out. That one's gone. But, yeah, uh, do you think that the Jays were making a, a little too big of a deal about the batter box stuff? It felt a little whiny to me early on, especially considering that right after it does come out that it, it was their own fault. Yeah, Jackson tipping and Kirk in his setup. I yeah. mean, there's some stuff that you can clean up there too. Like he sets up a lot of the time pretty early. Um, you know, he's not giving signals to the pitchers with his hands, but you know, his he's his stance is very very open at times um, to allow the base coaches to see how it is that he's setting up. And then and Jackson, if you go back and look at the replay of Jackson, mm-hmm. you can basically see how he's gripping the ball in his glove. Uh, and the first base coach would very easily be able to see, is that a fastball or a slider? Because he's a two-pitch guy. You know, you're not getting a changeup. You're not getting a cutter from Jay Jackson. So, yeah, the Jays gave it away. The Yankees capitalized. They were able to relay that, which cannot be easy in real time. Mm. And they had some fun doing it. Um, it was systematic. It wasn't just Judge. It was Bowers. There was more of this going on. That's in the gray area for Major League Baseball. I understand if you're the Blue Jays, like, you do want to alert the world to this. So I I don't, it might sound a little whiny, but mm-hmm. there's also the tactical element where it's like, whoever the Yankees are playing next, and I haven't looked it up, but let's say it's the Red Sox. Mm-hmm. You want the Red Sox to be on the Yankees and to be watching them closely because, or if it's the Royals or if it's the A's, you want, because if you're the Blue Jays, they might end up be battling the Yankees for one of those last playoff spots. And this is a way to make their life a little bit more difficult. So competitively, why not do that? Yeah, that makes sense. Um, And yeah, of course you absolutely want to do that. I just, when they were starting to talk about the position of the base coaches, I was going, what are we doing here? They're having actual public quotes. So that actually gives me uh, some faith in what the Blue Jays were doing and actually makes a little bit more sense of it. Again, it's a tough one for them yesterday. They lose... Herman dominates them early. He ends up with the sticky hands. So you as a Blue Jays fan can't feel too great about that. But then there's a couple of things from it that, I don't know, I, I, didn't, I didn't really love for the Jays, obviously. Um, and I'm going to kind of go through them. And I, this isn't like a panic meter because, yes, whatever. It's May and they're playing the Yankees. They're coming off of a home winning stretch. And so these games are important, but the Jays are still in a pretty good position. But there's a couple of things from the series so far that have not been great. And, yeah, that includes Manoa. I think the bullpen uh, Kirk's defense and yeah, some of the other stuff, but let's start with Kirk because yeah, that was the main, that was the first thing people pointed to, right? Was Kirk and the way that he was setting up before Jay Jackson came out and publicly stated that he was tipping the pitches. But 
Do you, do you have any insight into how the Jays feel about his progress as a catcher? Because last year it was all about, hey, this guy's gotten so much better and he's framing pitches so well. And this year he's playing less. And I don't know if that's because of the bat or that's in part because of stuff like this. Where, what do you, where are you at with just kind of Kirk's season so far? Well, it's definitely been a disappointing season. I think there's no other way to put it. He's not hitting for much power. Zero. He is getting on base. Yeah, he's got like two homers, right? Yeah. And this is a guy who hit 14 last year, so he should have he should have a few at this point at least. And the on-base percentage is down. He's hitting the ball on the ground too much, which is not a good recipe because he is objectively one of the slowest runners in baseball. So you're not going to get an infield hit, um, even if you hit a soft ground ball that might be a hit for Kiermaier. So, you know, offensively, it's been bad. Uh, you know, looking at his swing, he doesn't look quite as dynamic um, as as he did in years past. It's not a great look right now. At the same time, how many 24-year-olds show the ability that he had last year and then mm-hmm. just disappear at age 25? Like, it's it's hard to believe that all of that ability has just gone away. And especially because he did start spring training late and... He didn't get as many at-bats in. He was trying very hard to learn all the new rules with the pitch timer, et cetera, that may have put his offense on the back burner. So none of that to make an excuse. It's his job to be ready for the major league season. Evidently, he wasn't as ready as he should be. But I think that goes part of the way to explaining what's happening. And I think moving forward, he's still a good bet for a 350 OBP with a little bit of power. Yeah, he still draws a walk, which is great. The only problem is when he gets on base, he's a liability. And so, yeah, you got to have a cleanup hitter behind him that's either putting the ball out of the yard or hitting doubles. And, yeah, in terms of double plays, he's also their number one liability there. Like, having him clog up the base pass, I do wonder. They're, like, they're, he's not as valuable a walk as other players. That's pretty clear. And so, yeah, he's got to find a way to hit for a bit more power, and the defense clearly has to improve a bit. And And the stuff I'm thinking about with him right now, and this is probably – a little too early to be breaking out these takes, but it's hard. But you mentioned his age, right? He's 24 years old. And and I keep wondering if the Jays potentially would have been able to figure out a trade for Varsho that would have included him and not Moreno or what the price point different would have been or if that conversation was ever broached. Because, yeah, Moreno's off to a pretty damn good start with Arizona. Yeah, he he really is. And they're two entirely different types of catchers, really mm-hmm. entirely different types of players, um, even though they're both young catchers. Um, Moreno's throwing arm has been incredible in Arizona so far. Some really good pop times, some really good results caught stealing-wise mm-hmm. for the Blue Jays. That's been a big issue for them this year, and Kirk is a part of that. You look at his stolen base numbers, 20 attempts, only four caught stealing. So that's an 80% success rate for the opposition. That's not awful, but it's certainly not good. And, you know, that's just just one part of it. I think, you know, if you're a, a team on the rise like Arizona to get an athletic young catcher like Moreno who can run much better, um, that's probably more of a long-term fit for them. For sure. Um, but, you know, Kirk, I still think for the next few years, I mean, say what you will about, I, I don't think he's about to sign a 10-year extension, but say what you will about, um, you know, the next few years, I, I think that, he can still get back to something pretty close to the guy he was last year. And and I'm, you know, if you're the Jays, you got to be encouraged by the fact that he has more walks than strikeouts this year. And so that control of the zone is still there. He's just got to get the bat speed back a little bit to the point that he's making that hard contact consistently. And, you know, it's not an easy adjustment to make in season necessarily, but I don't, I'm not counting it out that he can do that. 
Yeah, there's been some really tough defensive plays for him this year. And so that's why when it was the tipping pitches stuff, I went, oof, man, you, you can't be having this too. You, you can't be having bad setups and helping the other team out when there's not a lot going on. And yes, as for the walks, I, again, I agree, but the, the base running thing remains true. And I also think that there's, there's a little bit of Kevin Biggio-ness going on with Kirk right now where he's hoping for the walk because he doesn't have as much confidence in the bat. And when he didn't, he, there's been a couple of spots where old Alejandro Kirk would have gotten pinch hit opportunities over these last couple of series, and it hasn't happened for him. And, yeah. and those ones I've definitely been writing down and going, man, this, this is a bad sign. When you're not getting the pinch hit opportunity that some of these have come up, and one of them worked, actually. It was the Danny Jansen walk-off. But, yeah, uh, you start to get a little bit concerned. Okay, so next yeah. thing of concern, right? Um, Vladdy's injury, because he was coming up in a big spot. So I get precautionary. Where are we at today with it? Well, that ninth inning was pretty revealing on a couple fronts. And I do agree with you on the pinch hitting with Kirk because Espinal was the one who got the call right there. You would think that Kirk would be the preferred option over a struggling 100%. Santiago Espinal. So I agree with you there. And the fact that they did take Vlad Jr. out of the game at that point is also very telling because we know how much of a gamer Vlad Jr. is. I mean, this is a guy who going into this season... He had missed three games in three full years as a major league player. So he wants to be out there. He is on the record saying that he hates the New York Yankees. So the chance to get a big hit against them at home, you know that Vlad Jr. would have wanted to do that if he was okay to, to attempt that physically. But the uh, knee discomfort right now is a big question for the Jays. And they were going to get an MRI, obviously, we're only speculating until the results of those M of that MRI come come in, um, but it's not a good sign. I think that this is uh, the biggest question around the team right now um, because there's just no replacing Vlad Guerrero Jr. and and you know maybe it's best case. Um, I would think he's getting a day of rest today, but mm -hmm. best case, maybe he's back in there Thursday and plays a couple of games against the Orioles, and you're pretty much good to go. It's a day to day thing, but. You know, it's it's hard to know. And he wouldn't have been taken out of that game if there wasn't at least some concern. Well, yeah, he had a huge spot coming up. He hates the Yankees. And Aaron Judge is... What was Vladdy's quote a couple of years ago when he was like, this is... He, he did some version of the David Ortiz, this is our city. Remember that? Yeah, this is my house. This is my house, right? This is my house. And Aaron Judge has come into your house and he's taking all your stuff. <laughs> and so, yeah. yeah, maybe do a thing and... What do you make of the no home runs at home thing? Because now it's a, a thing. It's it's officially a thing. It was especially a thing when during the broadcast yesterday, Shulman's trying to reverse curse it. And I went, okay, this is now you're into my territory, Dan. You're down in the mud, you know, trying anything you can to get a Vladdy bomb. This is a ballpark designed for more home runs. So, okay, so wait a second. This is the first time hearing of this. So Vlad Jr. has only hit home runs on the road this year? Yes. He has no home oh. runs at home. Wow. I mean, yeah. I, I <laughs> that's surprising. I honestly hadn't realized that. Um, yeah, you just want to see more home runs overall from uh -huh. him. Uh, he's having a really good season, but seven home runs. I mean, this is a guy who could easily have 10 or 11 by now. Yeah. I don't think it's cause for concern. I think that when he's healthy, when he's on the field, he's, he's an elite hitter. We've seen that all season long with his um, contact ability, his strike zone discipline, his power. Um, he hasn't been totally locked in, 
but he's been plenty good enough. And I mean, we know he's going to get home runs at home. I, yeah. I, I like, do you, that I, I don't think. No, I just wondered if you had a theory for it because I, I like, I'm starting to spin out into just absolute craziness because yeah, yeah, I don't understand it at all. And I know that it's probably just random, but I'm, I'm, I'm starting to do things like, is he overthinking the new dimensions of the ballpark when he's at the dish? Like where he's trying to put the baseball, just hit it hard and hit it out of the yard, Vladdy. What, what's happening? I, I don't get it. I, I just don't understand how, yeah, such a a guy that has so much power and clearly is a hit for average guy and that's what and get on base, that's his thing. He's been what's his OPS right now? It's like 920. He's been pretty brilliant so far this season. This has been a real statement start for him. But yeah, just a a real oddity. But you're right. They can't afford to lose his bat because the rest of the offense is pretty damn mediocre. Like where would this offense be without Kevin Kiermeyer? just ripping it up the way that he has or Matt Chapman not having a historically good start for him. Yeah, it's exactly. And, you know, you mentioned Kiermaier who, who added a home run last night. I mean, his OPS is nine Oh nine, which Unreal. is actually higher than Vlad's nine Oh one. So, you know, that that's really a credit to Kiermaier. It's not even a knock on Vlad. You know, if you take, you'll take a nine Oh one OPS from Vlad jr. Every single year. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but Kiermaier, has been incredible. It's, you know, the speed. We saw the speed on display yesterday, too, with him beating out an infield hit. This is just peak Kevin Kiermeyer. He's been awesome. I mean, kind of similar to Whit Merrifield in that you're getting these, even though Whit Merrifield slowed down offensively, um, but they're contributing. They're really making a difference, and they can still really move even into their 30s. So that's a good thing, but the depth really falls off. And, mm-hmm. you know, this is part of the reason, as you said, that the possible... Um, injury concern around Vlad Jr. is so big because it's not as though you have someone sitting on the bench who's just like ready to go. It's not like Kevin Biggio sitting there with seven homers in a part-time role and, you know, it's just like next man up the way it is for the Rays when Ayandi Diaz goes down and it's, okay, we'll have Isak Paredes come in and hit two home runs. Like that kind of depth that the Rays are showing and has, has been a huge reason for their success has not been on display for the Blue Jays. And, you know, it's Espinal who has a career-low OPS and is hitting the ball into the ground over and over. It's Biggio, who hasn't drawn a walk since April 3rd and who also has a career-low OPS. You look at Brandon Belt, who's come around a little bit, but mm-hmm. still is, you know, a league average hitter. You know, you're not looking at someone who's going to carry an offense based on what we've seen so far. So, And then Kirk and Jansen, who are way underperforming, and that's your bench. So it's really... Uh, a team that's reliant on its stars at this point, and mm-hmm. they need some guys on the bench to step up. So I, I do think that there's going to be some positive regression from some of those dudes, right? I, I'm not, I'll say that what we're seeing from Brandon Belt right now, it feels like what we're going to get. I, I just, it's hard to envision him becoming an elite offensive player. Do I think he can get hot at some point? Yeah, but I, I don't, you know, Azo and I were talking about it before the show. It's cool that he laid down that you know, those bunts, but he's also their DH with a three, one count. who's supposed to be a power hitter in big spot. And he's bunting to get on base and go, all right, that's something, I guess. Good for you. Um, the, some of the other guys, positive regression again, probably comes. I know we were doing the Springer is unlucky thing for a real long time. That feels like it's going away, but he's not going to end up where he is this season. I think it's realistic to believe that Vladdy will be pretty much what he is. Bo, same thing. Chapman, probably a little negative regression, but again, those other guys will pick them up right now. They're 12th in baseball in OPS. And my guess is barring them making a significant addition at the deadline, that's kind of where they're going to be around is that 
They're a slightly above average offense. It doesn't look like a special offense. With They've got some really good offensive players, but that's where they're going to kind of land. And, and the guy I keep focusing on in some of this is Dalton Varshow. Because the defense is obviously spectacular, right? The play he makes off the wall last night is great. Yeah. The speed on the base paths and just the way he plays the game, it's hard to knock him too much because I just like Dalton Varsho. I enjoy watching him play baseball. I like having players that feel locked in all the time. And I'm, there's this DeMar DeRozan quote that was floating around the internet yesterday about how there's so many uh, professional athletes now that just don't care about their sports. You don't question that with this guy. Like you're watching Dalton Varshan going, I think that this is all he thinks about. I think he lays in bed and he thinks about baseball and then he goes to work and he's so grateful that he's at work and he can't wait to play again. But I always felt like part of the trade, especially paying that premium of price, was that they thought there was upside to the bat. And now the OPS has once again dipped under 700 and he oftentimes feels pretty helpless at the dish, especially when it's left-handed pitching. And I wonder where you're at with just what we're going to see from Varsho and kind of the amount of positive regression that the Blue Jays think they're going to see here because it, let's just put it this way. It's a bad trade. If they traded for a guy who's just hovering around a 700 OPS plus all the time, no matter how good his defense is. Yes, that's fair. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, you need him to hit. He hit 27 homers last year. That was his age 25 season, and he was a part-time catcher. So you're definitely thinking, if you're the Blue Jays making that trade, giving up your top prospect in Gabriel Moreno plus Lourdes Gurriel Jr., you're thinking he is going to be able to build on that offensive production, Mm -hmm. and maybe it's 30 home runs. I mean, let's not get too greedy here, but... You take a guy out from behind the plate. He's not catching at all this year. That's not part of his um, his weekly routines. And you're thinking, yeah, 30 home runs should be realistic. And with that, is that, you know, 750, 800 OPS, something along those lines um, would have been, I think, a reasonable expectation and still is a reasonable expectation for Dalton Varsho because it's six weeks in. Um, he's not totally flailing up there. I mean, he has some good at-bats, and he has mm-hmm. some days where, you know, it doesn't work out for him. But, yeah, I mean, as they move ahead here, he's a huge part of this core, too. I mean, r- remembering that, you know, this is a guy who's who's here not just for this year, but for mm-hmm. many years. He's got four years before free agency. So, in some senses, he's as much of the core as, as a Vladdy or as a Bo, at least from how long he's going to be in Toronto. And they need him to be a very, very productive player each one of those years. Um, And a big part of that, of course, is the offense. It absolutely is. And I will finally bring this to light. Both Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. this season are hitting over 300. Um, Lourdes Gurriel Jr. has an OPS of 929. It's pretty good. That's pretty good. Dalton Varsha got to play a lot of defense (laughs) to make up for, you know, over 200 points of OPS. And Gabriel Moreno Jr., while playing catcher, has got an OPS of 746 and is hitting 321. He's catcher Ichiro. So, yeah, early returns on this deal. I'm really hoping Varsho turns around because that story is going to grow bigger and bigger for me. I hate that I'm doing so many negative things because I actually had such a blast at the ballpark on over the weekend with my family and they beat this really good Braves team and they had gutsy wins and there's lots of positive stuff. It's just like from these two Yankee games, some of my, I guess, anxieties around the team have, have popped up, like basically everything, which is what happens when there's one injury to a guy like Vladdy? Um, what's up with Manoa, which is maybe the thing we'll go to next. And yeah, could this Varsho trade end up being kind of a disaster? But yeah, let's do... Uh, Let's do the last thing before Manoa. We'll close on Manoa. 
the bullpen. This has been the other thing. So they're 15th in bullpen ERA, which is kind of a nothing stat. Don't really care. But they're 13th in the majors in whip, and they're 18th in fan graphs war. They're shockingly getting more strikeouts than I think a lot of us would have anticipated at the beginning of the year. They're 7th in caves per nine. But yeah, where are you at with the bullpen right now? Because it just, it doesn't, I don't have a extreme degree of confidence in it. It does feel like every single night they're bringing out some guy that you're going, how, how is this? All of a sudden, Nate Pearson feels way too important. Yeah. Yeah. Pearson has been pretty good. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's good. something. I mean, only seven appearances and getting, getting uh, the, the fastball in there, um, throwing strikes, which is really the important thing for Nate Pearson. So I think this bullpen's actually pretty good. Um, I, I think that between Romano, who, you know, you look at his baseball savant page, it's all red. He's getting really good movement on his pitches, good velocity. The slider, obviously, is a great weapon for him. He's had a couple rough outings, but for the most part, he's been exactly who the Jays thought he should be. Mm-hmm. Eric Swanson, obviously not a good outing last night, but basically overall pretty good. Been, yeah, he's been really effective. And then you have Jimmy Garcia, Tim Meza. Mm. Those guys have been good. Fine. Um, G- Garcia, I think there's room for improvement there, but the stuff is grading out pretty well. Um, obviously, Bass has been a disappointment. Richards oh, has been good. That's you know, a very I, nice way of putting it. Yeah, yeah. It, it's been really bad for Bass this yeah. year. I mean, that's that's pretty clear. Um, but I actually think it's a pretty good bullpen, and right. there's no doubt in my mind they're going to have to be searching for upgrades um, on the trade market. Um, that's you know going to be one spot they look. They're also probably going to have to look at the starting rotation. They're also going to have to probably look at the bench. That's the way it, it's man. performing now, not good enough. So you know those are that's a lot of areas. <laughs> that's um, you know a lot of work to do, and they're of course already starting up on that. At least um, in a planning sense, those discussions um, have begun. So it's it's not too early to start thinking about that at least in a in a broad broad sense but i i do think the bullpen's good enough um to to compete and then you look to add to that and mm-hmm. chad green when he comes back you know is that august um you know are we throwing, sure he's coming back uh, this year though yeah yeah uh i mean you're never sure with anyone with Tommy john but i think there's internal optimism that chad green will come back That's and good. timelines are always tough but I, I think he'll be back I've always been a huge Chad Green guy, so it would be great if he actually showed up and was effective for this team and did give them a shot in the arm and wasn't just Kirby Yates 2.0 where they gave a guy a bunch of money and were like, we really hope that you're healthy, and then he never gets right. I just, I guess where I'm at with it is the Blue Jays' offense doesn't feel special at all. It feels like it has real holes. Same with the depth, which we thought was going to be better this year, but hasn't really. Um, And yeah, the bullpen to me... It, it felt like such an obvious area to upgrade during the offseason, and they made that big Teo trade. But outside of Swanson being, I guess, good, but me not going, he's amazing. Yeah, yeah they're Romano. And then some guys that I, I do feel like I'm holding my breath every once in a while when they're coming out in big spots. And I, I don't have a ton of faith in Jimmy Garcia in high-leverage situations right now. And then once you get beyond him... Like, I can't believe how much I've talked myself back into Trevor Richards. I'm going, I think I'm a T-Rich guy again. I'm all about... T. Rich, uh, I'm I'm totally back in on the guy. The old gray hair. Let's go. Okay, so the one thing that is special is the rotation, right? Kikuchi has bounced back. Barrios is normalized to a degree. Um, Gossman, brilliant last night, right? For the most part, has some weirdness with Isaiah Kiner-Falefa of all guys that he just can't get out. Turns into Aaron Judge. 
And then obviously Bassett has been a hit, even though no Blue Jays fans have seen him pitch because he's been across from every single important Leafs game. And so no one has ideas that he's doing well. He goes tonight against Garrett Cole. So for those of you that finally want to see Chris Bassett pitch, here you go tonight. He's been just as good as Gossman. The Manoa thing is just the, the last piece of, hey, this is your identity as a ball club right now is a bunch of star starting pitchers. And I was at the game the other night and struggling is a too kind way to put it. Like he was laboring out there. He couldn't find the strike zone. Looked like a guy who was lost. And this was after a first inning where he got some swing and miss on the slider, which was the very big talking point going into the ball game. What, what is going to happen here? Like, what are the conversations around Manoa like? Because he's not getting sent down, but you also can't keep running him out there if he pitches this way. So what happens next? It feels like this next start is pretty big. It's It's been such a frustrating year for Manoa. And what stands out to me the most, this is pretty obvious, is just the command. It's not there. He, You look at the season, 45 innings, 32 walks, 4 hit by pitch. So that's 36 free passes in 45 innings. It's Woof. you're approaching one per inning. You know, it's not sustainable. I looked back at this to see, okay, like last year among pitchers who who were starters, you know, who pitched at least 120 innings in the season, what was the worst walk rate in baseball? And it was Chris Bubich, who was 4.4 per nine. And Manoa right now is sitting at seven. So it tells you that in Major League Baseball, Teams don't let pitchers with so little command make starts for them consistently. It is not sustainable. Mm. You can't win. Like every single team agrees. If you're walking that many hitters, you are not permitted to make starts for an extended period. So that being said, maybe there's an adjustment here that Manoa can make. That's something he's working behind the scenes on. They're hopeful that he can find the zone. Clearly, it's trending in the wrong direction, though. And the the notable thing, the problematic thing about the start against the Yankees on Monday was that he threw more balls than strikes in that <sighs> outing. And you are just not going to compete against elite offenses when you are not consistently in the strike zone, when you're always or, or you know too often, when you are more often than not starting a count 1-0, 2-1, 2-0 against elite hitters, you're going to find yourself in trouble. So it's that is pretty amateur analysis like throw the ball over the plate but I don't think we have to overcomplicate it more than that that is what Alec Manoa needs to be able to do and every pitcher wants to throw strikes like you don't go out there trying to start 3-1 on Aaron Judge so this is not something he's able to execute right now Mm -hmm. how he gets to that point I don't know there may be mechanical aspects I'm sure there are approach aspects to it but it's essential for a starting pitcher to be able to throw strikes. Well, yeah. What are people saying about it? Because I think if you're a Jays fan, you're praying it's a mechanical adjustment because the alternatives feel like it could be the pitch clock and the way that it wears on him physically as he's pitching and just his approach during the game. And two, and I was talking to Ennis about this yesterday and I'll probably do it with him later on this week, but this is a guy who's dominated everywhere for forever. Right, he came up to the majors. He's the best starter in Jay's history to begin his career, and and it's pretty, you know, it's pretty inarguable. And college dominant, everything. So for him to have to struggle this way and have so much of his identity tied into him being this big dominant force, that that's a little scary. And yeah, so and he can't make adjustments for the pitch clock, right? Like that's not going anywhere. That's not changing anytime soon. That's not going away. And so if it's a mechanical thing, you go, that's adjustments and you'll get it done. 
Because the other two stuff, that the, that's harder to quantify. Yeah, and, you know, I think that the pitch clock stuff, um, I think that's something that he can overcome. I think that if the if the mechanics are there, because um, you can look at it pretty obviously, right? And you can see where a lot of his misses occur and it's arm side from with his fastball, meaning that he's not fully finishing his delivery as he moves toward home plate and the and the ball kind of sprays to the toward the right-handed batter's box. And you know, that's that's happened a few times for Manoa early in the season. He was saying it wasn't mechanical. Um, clearly there are mechanical things going on. It, it would take a pitching coach to really describe the nuance of that. I won't attempt to do that, but I, I think that you you look at even just watching him, it seems like last year he got a little bit lower in his delivery as he pushed toward home plate. You can see him on the mound oftentimes now where he's trying to find that landing spot on the mound, kind of kicking around the dirt um, as, as he searches for those mechanics a little bit. Um, I, I don't know. Ultimately, there, you're right that he hasn't had an extended period of struggle like this as a professional player. Mm-hmm. I do think this is a guy who's overcome various forms of adversity in his life. So I don't think he's a stranger to feeling as though he has his back against the wall and coming back from that in productive ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's really tough to do that against major league hitters in the midst of a season too. So, so whatever adjustments he makes, he's got one bullpen session. And then it's, all right, you're back at it against the Orioles. You're back at it against the Twins. Like, there are not a lot of breathers during the course of which you can really um, iron things out. And and it's not as though there's someone knocking on the door at AAA that you say, oh, yeah, well, you know, obviously um, Mitch White is a, is a stud and they absolutely need to get him in the road. I, I forgot he existed. He exists. Yeah. Nice. Is he doing okay? Healthy? He's working his way back. Nice. He's, he's healthy now. Yeah. I mean, I'm telling you, Mitch, get ready because I don't. I think one more start like the one we saw from Manoa, and they got to they got to put him on fake injury. I, I don't know what else the option is. Yeah, I mean, I that's something you'd have to talk through with Manoa and see where his head's at. If that's something that he would want to get a little breather, maybe you do it. If, if he wants to work through it in the major league level, <laughs> you know, that's a that's a tough one as well. I mean, you you probably want to have the buy-in from Manoa one way or the other. Mm. Ben Nicholson-Smith, at the letters, senior MLB writer for Sportsnet. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Always appreciate you. You got it. Thanks, JD. There he goes. Ben Nicholson-Smith. The, the sky is not falling around the Toronto Blue Jays. I just want to make this very clear, <laughs> okay? I just, all of the things that I'm anxious about this baseball team with, they've, they've just popped up over the last couple of games. That's it. It's just been, it's been a lot of our show outs. It's been a red hot Gabriel Moreno and Lourdes Gurriel Jr. It's been an offense that like you guys are watching the same baseball team. Mm. Sometimes they get hot and they string hits together and they've been fine. It's not as though this is a bum offense, but it definitely, the belt thing feels like a huge miss at this point. They needed that guy to be a real bat and he hasn't been. And then Varsho, same thing. They needed him to take a step offensively and he has regressed from where he was a year ago, hitting less power, still getting on base, but it's the same thing as Kirk. Okay, fine. You're on first base a lot. Okay. Where's some power? This is the American League East. Yeah. It's, it's hard to envision the Blue Jays winning a World Series with a mediocre offense and a mediocre bullpen. And, and Ben's right. Again, I don't think the bullpen is a disaster. Mm-hmm. It's not a nightmare. It's not like a couple of seasons ago where they couldn't get an out yeah. and it was costing them games and it cost them the playoffs. 
It's just, it's underwhelming considering that a year ago, they got knocked out of the playoffs because their bullpen sucked. Yeah. And that it was always a, why is it again an area that they have to target at the deadline? You would have figured that after this many seasons, they would have had a, another nasty guy in there. And yeah, they, they, how could they have told, been able to tell that Bass was going to become, go from a guy that was good to bad? Well, you know how you could find out? Because it's relief pitching. And that's why you get the higher velocity, actual impact arms. But yeah, J- do you guys trust Jimmy Garcia in a big spot right now? Swanson's okay. He came in that game last night. I was trembling, gave up a huge shot. Guess what? That's who you're going to be facing in the important games is Aaron Judge in a big spot. You're a high leverage reliever. That's the job. Yeah. So, yeah, just some bad. And then Manoa stuff is terrifying. We've talked about it over the last couple of days. But here's the, the good news is, is that the other four starters have all been just rock solid. And you get another one of them tonight with Chris Bassett, who has been, they've had two amazing signings in Bassett so far and Kiermaier. Yes. They have been out of this world hits up until this point. And then you've got a pretty sizable miss, I would say, in Brandon Belt. And then the idea of keeping the Cavan Biggios and the Espinals, they always kept all these second basemen, these light-hitting utility guys that don't really... Whit Merrifield, he was hot for a little while, but now what's your yeah. level of confidence when Wit's up at the dish? Like, you got these three guys that are sort of just redundant but not great. Anyway, uh, we got to take a break, but my best bets continue to hit. My Botano best bets. Uh, I've had a lot of you reach out over the last couple of days, which has been very nice. I love it when you hit me with the DMs at J.D. Bunkus, especially those of you that have been giving me the testimonials about how much you love the book because I told you it's great. My best bet is next. Sportsnet 590, The Fan. All right, time for best bets brought to you by Botano Sportsbook. The only sports book that I use. It's the best sports book in Ontario. It is the global sports betting operator of 2022, which I didn't decide. But yeah, I picked this book for a reason. Uh, so yeah, reach out anytime at JD Bunkus. Um, it's red hot. I can't miss. Not even afraid. Keep saying it. Not. I'm fearless because I'm just better at this than anyone else on the planet, frankly. Nobody picks like I do. I, you should see my account. Just smashed. Just destroying, eviscerating. Yesterday, Austin Reeves over two and a half, oh, one and a half, three. I think he had four. You're welcome, world. Five, Joe Bo says. Yeah, all right. Everybody just say thank you. Say thank you, JD. Under four and a half runs in the first five innings of the Blue Jays game tonight. Chris Bassett, Garrett Cole, possibly, potentially no Vladdy. I think the price changes once he's officially listed out. Grab it right now. That is your Botano best bet. I'll see you tomorrow. Hey, it's Ben.